Hello, and welcome to Primary Sources, a production of the Central Arkansas Library System, where we focus on people making a difference in Little Rock and Arkansas. Some you might have heard of, and some you haven't heard of, but probably want to know about. Check out cals.org slash podcasts for more Primary Sources interviews. Welcome to another episode of Primary Sources, a podcast of the Central Arkansas Library System. Once again, I am Matt DeCampel, hosting today, and our guest is Arkansas's Secretary of Agriculture, Wes Ward. Thanks for being here, Wes. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. I would call you Secretary, but that would probably drive you crazy, (laughs) uh, as I know you well enough. So uh, before we get into the work that you do, let's talk about you. I mean, you were born into agriculture in the sprawling metropolis that is Lake City, Arkansas. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, you know, Lake City is just a small town northeast Arkansas outside of Jonesboro, and uh, it's ag. You just kind of grow up with with agriculture. You're surrounded by it. That's what everybody does. And so had that upbringing and uh, went to school up there. And uh, I I I really appreciate the opportunity just to grow up in a small town, Arkansas, and be surrounded by agriculture. And so it was, uh, I don't have any complaints about where I grew up at all. And it's about as far east as you can go before you hit Mississippi County, right? It's not too far from there. That's right. Yeah. So we missed it. It's right there on the river. That's right. And the home of the only, uh, what is it, the only lift bridge in the world, right? (laughs) So they did uh, did replace that. But But they they kept it. That's right. It's sitting right next to to the new bridge. That's right. So it's uh, a a lot of history there in Lake City. And so I I sometimes joke, it's like, you know, uh, I'm from the town of Lake City. Does anybody know what lake is by Lake City? And like, no, there's not one. There's a big river, (laughs) but there's no lake. Yeah. That's right. So you, you grew up on a farm. So, uh, so actually, my dad was a Baptist pastor, oh, okay. uh, and my mom was a nurse, and so, uh, so I spent summers, you know, picking watermelons and working in the garden and uh, helping friends who who worked in, in agriculture and worked in their farms. But uh, my family didn't own a farm, which is a little right. bit different, uh, and, and I think that's what uh, further drove me to a career in agriculture was a little bit of that aspect. But no, I, di- I didn't didn't grow up on a family farm like like a, a lot of other people in the industry did. But by the time you decided to go to college you knew that's what you wanted to study for. That's right. Yeah. So when I uh, when I graduated uh, from high school in Lake City with Riverside High School, I joined the military. So I w- went directly from there into the Marine Corps and spent four years on active duty. But knowing full time that I knew I wanted to come back to Arkansas at some point, I didn't know when that would be, uh, but had had some really good experiences when I was in the Marine Corps those first four years. And part of that was got stationed in Washington, D.C. and got stationed at the Pentagon and uh-huh. spent spent almost two years there. Uh, and so just living in a, a more urban environment further drove home that desire to, I want to be, I want to be in rural <laughs> you, America. I want to yeah. go back home to rural it Arkansas. reinforced your love <laughs> of the smaller town life. That's right. Absolutely. It sure did. You sit in traffic, you know, one or two times and that's enough to be like, okay, I'm, I've had enough of this place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm ready to get back. And and so what was your, what was your time like in the Marines? I mean, you're still in the Marines now, but, uh, you know, what, what, what drove you, I mean, again, son of a preacher and a nurse, what drove you, to, we'll talk about what drove you to ag. We already have some, but what drove you to military service? Yeah. So I, w- I would say I have a background, not uncommon for a lot of people in rural Arkansas. Family didn't make a whole lot of money. You looking at, you know, wanted to go to school, didn't know how I was going to pay for that. Uh, the Marine Corps had the GI Bill, and you know we're, go- we're going to give you some experiences, going to teach you some life lessons. We're going to help you pay for school, see see parts of the world that you'd never dream of seeing from a small town in rural Arkansas, and so that really appealed to me. And so that's that's part of why why I went the military route and uh, and really loved it. They, they've kept their end of the bargain and, and mm-hmm. taught me you know a lot of life life lessons and discipline and 
uh, work ethic and you know, having passion about what you do and, and serving people. And so uh, I really enjoyed that. Got to, you know, those, those first four years, like I mentioned, got to spend a couple of years at the Pentagon. And that was you know, just right after 9-11, which was just uh, just an incredible time to, to be in the military in general, but to yeah. be at the Pentagon. I worked for the Commandant of the Marine Corps, who's, who's on the Joint Chiefs of Staff and, and that time period. After 9-11, you know, in Afghanistan, before we went into Iraq, and uh, it was just phenomenal, the leadership that our military has, uh, and really taught me a lot about leadership as well, uh, on, you know, there's there's important things that important people have to do, and it takes a lot of work, and it wasn't uncommon to have uh, those guys who, I think sometimes people think, you know, oh, they're working an eight-to-five job. It's like, they're working about 22 hours a day. Yeah. They, they, don't, they don't sleep. They work nonstop because they're they're dealing with really important issues, and that that, that I think really just drove home uh, to me personally. You know the the amount of work that it takes to to be successful when you're dealing with really complicated and complex issues. And I try to carry that with me. Is like I, you know you, you always want to work smarter rather than harder. Yes. But a lot of times you've you've got to put in the hard work and you've got to put in the hours to to work on these issues. And so carried a lot of those lessons with me since then. Did you get to see more uh, than Washington D.C. as far as the your time in the Marines? I, I sure did. So I've been in uh, about 18 years now, uh, and so I've you know you know those first four years got to got to experience the Pentagon, which was unique. But uh, spent several years in, in California, and I've, I've been to you know a lot of the different bases throughout the U.S. But uh, also got to deploy to Afghanistan and to Jordan, and then have done additional training exercises in Jordan and Japan and. So it's just been it's been really unique from you know just a you know poor kid from rural Arkansas and the the opportunities that I've had and the places that I've been able to see I, I'm just I'm extremely blessed and I, I I credit a lot of that to the Marine Corps and and just what they provide not just for not just for me personally but to everybody that serves in the military and the Marine Corps specifically on on what they do for people. So you you get back to Northeast Arkansas and you go to ASU and, and then as you're going through, obviously uh, you're learning and maybe you learned some growing up. But like you said, you weren't on a family farm; you're working on farms. But you know you le- you start to learn about the logistics and the politics and everything else that goes into farming. Yeah. And but that didn't uh, that didn't uh, dissuade you at all. <laughs> That's right. I, I was I was really interested in it, and I think part of that was. Uh, was coming from the Pentagon and seeing kind of, you know, decision making at the, the higher levels on on the military front. And so coming back to Arkansas State and was finishing school and did ag business with a, with an emphasis in ag finance and you know, I had to take Dr. Burke Greenwald's, you know, policy class. And, <laughs> and so I just I think Dr. Burke Greenwald is one of the one of the you know, great leaders at Arkansas State on the ag side and one of the great teachers who just does a lot for his students. And he's a hard teacher and he's very uh, very tough on his students because he expects that if you're going to take my class and graduate, you know, uh, and pass my class, I expect you to know what you're talking you're about. You're going to have to, yeah, you're going to have to really <laughs> earn this grade. That's right. Yes, and yeah. so, you know, coming from having that Pentagon experience and coming back and taking the policy class, I think it just made sense to me. On here, here's how here's how this process works, and here's the decision makers and uh, the policy implications of of agriculture, which I think some sometimes you know I, I was probably a little naive on that before before going into it. Uh, of just how important that is and, and how much it takes to do those sort of things, the farm bill and how important it is and the amount of time and effort it takes to get those approved. Yeah. So. 
So once you finish uh, school and and you've got multiple degrees in uh, in, in agriculture related fields, <laughs> if it's possible to be an agriculture nerd, I think you qualify as one. Uh, but where did you uh, where did you start cutting your teeth as far as getting involved in in, in policy and, yeah. and and ag on a bigger scale? Right. So uh, so when I finished uh, my ag business degree at ASU, I went from there to to law school at the University of Arkansas, uh, and so that was three years. Uh, and so it was a little bit even more. You know, going from you know dealing with agriculture every day as an undergrad student, and and I had, I would say I had I, I had ten acres when I was going through undergrad, so <laughs> I, I was a yeah. small scale farmer do, during those years, uh, and realized just how difficult it is to to make a living. But you know, went to law school and was a little bit more removed, just going through the law school process, and from there went back on active duty in the Marine Corps again, and so uh, had several times where I was a little bit removed, further removed than I would have liked from agriculture, but always. I uh, always try to stay connected as best as I could. And when you were in law school, you that was some of your focus, correct? That's right. Yeah. Yep. So I always had an interest in agriculture uh, and then ended up ultimately going back and doing a, what's called a master's in agriculture and food law uh, up in Fayetteville as well. So uh, just kind of more specific to the legal side and the legal uh, issues that the agriculture industry faces. And uh uh, there's a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty and we'll get into some of those. <laughs> not, not all of them, uh, but uh, so when did the, you know, obviously uh, new administration comes in in 2015, and when did the the idea of becoming secretary of agriculture did it was it something that you set out to do, or is it something that just landed in your lap? <laughs> I've I've been asked that question several times before, and, and I'll say, you know, when when Governor Hutchinson got elected, uh, I'd gotten to know him a little bit when he was on the campaign trail, and really really thought he had some really good ideas, and you know, and so he gets elected, and I and I had talked to several legislators in his office about, you know, I'm I'm interested in working for the governor. Uh, in some capacity, I don't I don't know what that looks like, or you know, if that's agriculture, or if that's you know, veterans issues. Uh, yeah. But here's here's my experience. How can I be helpful? Type deal. And so, I uh, was just very fortunate to to be able to uh, have an interview with the governor and talk about those things, and talk about the ag department, and talk about agriculture issues in general. And uh, I, I would say I was just very fortunate, uh, and I, I do think that was a a, a lot of right place at the right time with the mm-hmm. right people that allowed that opportunity to to present itself, but, uh, but never, never in my, in, in my wildest dreams would I've ever dreamed that, uh, I'd be the secretary of agriculture in Arkansas. I, I really, really wouldn't have. I, I could brag that you are the youngest secretary of agriculture <laughs> we've ever had, but we've only had about three or four. That's right. That's uh, the position's <laughs> only been around about a decade, a little more. Yeah, uh, but right. so, okay, let's, let's start getting into agriculture and, and just for starters, you know, strip it away and get very basic here. Yeah. Obviously, a lot of people hear that our agriculture is still our biggest industry in Arkansas. What are our most dominant crops at this at this stage? Right. Yeah. So uh, I, I would say Arkansas has a very diverse agriculture industry, and, and and I think that's really something that sets us apart from a lot of other states. Uh, you know, you look at Arkansas, and you've got a, a tremendous row crop industry. You've got your rice production. We're, we're the the largest producer of, of rice in the U.S., but about 50% of our rice production. I've heard that before. <laughs> I'm sure you have. <laughs> My wife is doing her job. Yes. You know, 50% of the nation's rice production is, is in Arkansas. We've got, you know, soybean production, wheat production, corn production, uh, you name it, all the row crop commodities that, that we have, uh, really, you know, a large extent in eastern Arkansas. Uh, but it's a lot bigger than that. You know, we've got our poultry industry is incredibly successful in Arkansas, home of Tyson Foods and, and Simmons Foods and a lot of other great poultry companies that have been very successful 
uh, in Arkansas, you know, our, our cattle industry, our specialty crop industry, our aquaculture industry, our forestry industry, and we've got 19 million acres of forest land in Arkansas. So it's uh, it's very diverse. So you, you look at, uh, at what the U.S. produces as a whole, uh, Arkansas is, is, is a leader in most of those, which is which is phenomenal. And we, we, we really do have a incredible agriculture industry. It's, it's still our number one industry, uh, $21 billion economic impact every year to our state. And really, uh, I, I say this, you know, to, to try to explain to others who are less familiar with agriculture is as the agriculture industry in Arkansas goes, really the state of Arkansas mm-hmm. goes, you know, if, if something negative is impacting the industry, you know, uh, especially on a broader scale, that has a that has an impact on the state of Arkansas as a whole for everybody. Uh, so it's important, you know, one out of every six jobs in the state. Uh, but we just we we have an incredible industry and, and have been very successful. I have a lot of challenges, uh, but have been very successful uh, in in the past with our industry. And how has it uh, shifted in the past generation or two as far as? production, agricultural production in the state? Because I know we used to be like a lot stronger in cotton, right, than we are now yeah. and things like that. So where, where does that uh, commodity shift occur? Yeah, I think it fluctuates like other industries do. You have peaks and lulls and, uh, you know, cotton. You go back several years ago, you had a cotton gin in every county in Arkansas. Mm-hmm. I had cotton production in every county, and so now you know that's shifted back towards those eastern eastern part of Arkansas and the row crop, you know, known areas of the state you know, where they can have those uh, economies of scale and can can produce you know higher quantities of, of cotton on that acreage, and so uh, it shifts, uh, and and that's a lot based off of demand of you know not just in the U.S. but world demand, and so you've you've seen cotton. The cotton industry specifically has has been uh, competing with you know uh, nylons and polyester products, right. you know the clothing uh, industry, and and it looks like a lot of that is shifting back uh, towards cotton again. So I think cotton is is growing. You know, it's it's increased. Uh, our acreage has increased the last couple of years, and we we expect that to to continue. But you know the consumer demand is really what drives a large part of what the industry is and and how it changes from year to year and. Uh, you know, you look at global consumption across the world. You've you've got rising incomes. You've got you know growing economic conditions in, in certain parts of the world. So they want higher quality products, and so that that lends towards you know more meat consumption, or it leads towards right. you know higher the higher quality rice that we produce. And so uh, it shifts. Uh, but yeah. uh, but but also e- even aside from the kind of a global market conditions and changes in consumer preferences, you have. Uh, you you have producers that are looking at what they do on their individual farms and saying how do I how do I how do, how do I diversify my operations you know if if one if one industry changes if all I'm producing is cotton cotton takes a hit and 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 tanks you know I'm I'm going to lose my farm so right. how, how do I do other things and so you see producers who are you know they might have multiple row crop production aspects that they have on their farm and a lot of those are may have some some poultry you know houses on their farm or some you know backyard and some cattle on the farm so they're looking at how do I on my individual farm how do I do more than one thing to kind of hedge against that risk and 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 be successful and be able to continue into the future and and with those producer farms your your more family smaller you know non-industrial farms even yeah. if they're of course part of a bigger collective yeah. You know, you hear a lot about how it's a year-to-year life, basically, and and as time goes on, it feels like there's that many more factors they have to take into account. Uh, with you know, like you were talking about, with global markets, commodity prices, and all these type of things. 
how does that balance with the advances we've been able to make where it's easier to grow multiple crops, you know, on one farm? I mean, is it is that balance about where it is or is it is it leaning a little little tougher for farmers or easier for farmers? Or again, does it just depend on the year? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I, I would say, you know, farmers have have a lot of challenges. And, and that's even just aside from just growing their crop, you know, whether that's a row crop or livestock or poultry. Uh, all the other factors that they have to deal with is is substantial. The the financial aspects, the the legal issues, the global markets, you, you know, all of those aspects that that play into their decision making year to year. And mm-hmm. so every, every year they're sitting down, they're they're trying to watch and they're trying to make those decisions on what, what am I going to plant next year, or what am I going to grow, and do I need to you know have a different breed of, of livestock that's going to do better in, in certain conditions and so there, there's always every, I would I, I would agree every year is kind of a new year you know they, they've kind of looked to the future and they kind of have a general idea of what they are planning to do a year or two out but uh, every year they've got to sit down and make those decisions but uh, you, you hear a lot currently in the ag industry about the farmer has to have a CEO mindset you know they've got to understand the finances they've got to understand you know the regulatory environment, the legal aspects. Uh, they've got to understand the, you know, the the growing conditions and, and you know what the seed varieties are. And there's so many different factors that they've got to understand and be able to manage to include marketing their crop. And so uh, that that's created really, uh, you know, within the ag industry, you have all these different sectors and these sub- kind of allied or supporting functions. Uh, that help the farmer to be successful, and, and it takes a it takes a lot of people yeah. for the industry to be successful. And uh, you you hear on the marketing side, it's you know, a farmer that can successfully grow a good crop and have high yields and manage their land and, and those resources that in the best way that they can sometimes isn't the best person to market a crop. I mean, they're just different mindsets and different ways of looking at things and different skill sets. So it's it's the farmer that that has to be able to to look at that and realize where. Where's my weaknesses? Where are my strengths? And, and managed appropriately to to be successful. And then there's a lot of variables to that. And uh, I know, and having met some of them myself, that when you talk about generations of farming, you know, you, these family farms that go back 100 years or more, it becomes an issue of of teaching old dogs new tricks <laughs> sometimes. And h- how do you you know how do you approach that? How do you convince someone who's you know, listen, this is how we've done it for 60 years, you know, and and we we we're still here. You know, how do you convince them that they need more of that CEO mindset and not just, you know, doing the work and bringing in the crop? It's a challenge. Uh, we, I would say we deal with that issue uh, frequently. When you look at, you know, if you, if you back up and you look at, you know, the, the, the farms in Arkansas, we're, 97% of those are family-owned farms. So it, it really is a family-type uh, operation, and that makes it easier. I, I think that's a that's an easier environment to walk into as opposed to, you know, a a Wall Street top CEO mentality is like, who are you and why are you here and I'm not listening to you. So I, I think, you know, the family operation, the, the family environment, you know, the agricultural background, I, I think we all realize we're, we're all on the same page. We're all trying to, 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 to move the industry forward and to be successful. Uh, but at the same time, there there are a lot of those individuals that uh, I've, I've done it this way for 30 years. My dad did it this way for the years before right. that. And his granddad did it that way before that. And, and I'm not changing. I'm not doing anything different. Because uh, it's worked. I don't right. feel the need that's to right. upset my whole system if, uh, right. yeah. yeah, even though the other factors <laughs> that they can't control might be that's upsetting right. the system. Yeah, and so, you know, that's uh, those are individual decisions that they have to make. And if they're able to make a profit uh, and they don't want to try to, you know, look at different ways of doing it, and as long as they're successful, we're happy. That's that's a win for us. Sure. Uh, and so uh, it's really, you know, the ones that are struggling, the ones that are, are maybe losing money, 
those are the ones we're trying to read. Like, here's how you can, here's how you can do things different, or, or here's how you can help, or here's some different resources for you. But sometimes it takes getting into, you know, you know, you know, a loss for a year for for a farmer to say this this isn't working. And sometimes that's a, that's a difficult conversation. You know, there's been, you know, the, the number of farms in Arkansas has gone down. You know, they've gotten bigger. Uh, you know, there's there's fewer small scale producers than what there than what there used to be. Uh, and, and some of that's attributed to that, you know, producers who, who might not have wanted to change or adapt to their operations. Uh, and some of that's, you know, that was their own choice. Like, hey, I've, I've sure. been successful doing this. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not interested in doing it a different way. And so I'm, I'm going to retire. I'm going to sell the farm. I'm going to do something different. And that's okay, too. I mean, it's uh, the industry changes and, and, and the people that the producers, the people that are involved in industry are changing with it. And so it's just a, a, a personal choice that a lot of those farmers and operations have to make. So getting a little bit into the politics surrounding agriculture, especially right now, we're not going to go into great detail about any individual issue just because by the time this gets posted, everything could have changed again. (laughs) But in an environment right now where you have uh, a lot of concerns about global trade and tariffs, uh, a lot of concerns about immigration policy and how that impacts the legal migrant worker uh, programs that agriculture depends on and things like the farm bill which is, has struggled in a very divided congress right now how you know being in your position it's a you know it can be a delicate one i know and so how do you try to connect the two between having worked in dc before you know how, how do you connect the political world to again you know the farmer who's on a small farm they've been on for you know 90 years who is going to get affected one way or another by all these issues. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's a, as you know, that's a, that's a difficult task a lot of times. Uh, and I, I really do think that, uh, you know, the approach to that is honesty is always, always best, regardless of which side of an issue that you're talking to, uh, whether you're talking to a legislator or you're talking to a producer, like here's, here's what's going on. And, and just being brutally honest with them and trying to help them understand here, here's here's what the issue is here's here's what impact this has and here's what this means uh, and then helping them to understand that first of all and then a lot of that too is, is figuring out you know is, is there gaps in that information because sometimes there is you yeah. know we may you know someone in dc may see something a certain way or someone in little rock may see something a certain way and on the ground they can say well that's that's not accurate like, that's not exactly how this is work this is working or how it's how it's working for us in the past and so uh, I think just open, honest conversations is, is really how you bridge a lot of those gaps on issues. But, uh, but at the same time, there are issues out there that what may what may sound good to some certain aspects of people, and that may be a, a political you know viewpoint or a regional viewpoint, doesn't always play out the same way that we sometimes intend. On the pragmatic side, That's once right. you actually get down into That's the exactly right. So it's a, an education is is a big piece of that. How do, how do you communicate? Uh, to those that have good ideas, and 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 a lot of them are. I, I think I don't think anyone is necessarily coming up with these you know policies or ideas of we're intentionally going to create negative impacts for somebody. Right, and, and but we, it's we, collateral we, damage right, a lot of that's times. That's right. So it's just yeah. explaining to them if you do this, here's what this means for for the ag industry, which sometimes isn't isn't always the the industry that people think about. You know, they think about other aspects and uh, other industries before they think about agriculture. And you know, for Arkansas specifically, it's you know, Agriculture is our number one industry. It's a $21 billion economic impact. If, if this negatively impacts our industry, th- to the point earlier, it's like everybody in the state of Arkansas is going to feel this. This, is, this isn't just, you know, well, the ag industry isn't, isn't that big or isn't that important. It is. And mm-hmm. so just educating on both sides of the importance of the industry and what it means when, when 
there are negative issues that we have to have to work through. And it feels like, to your point, some people, I mean, not necessarily that they purposefully ignore agriculture, but you know, the the shinier industries, the new, and, and there's innovation in agriculture, of course, all the time. But you know, a lot of these cutting edge, uh, you know, developments, and of course, everything that's that's happening with tech these days, it feels like it's kind of hard to hold on to that attention because. It just people seem naturally drawn to what's what's new and exciting when agriculture has always been a part of the state. That's right. Yeah. And I, and I, I think we see that playing out at the federal level as well on the national level uh, on the, the most recent farm bill debates over the last last couple of those that we've had to deal with. It, it's turned more into a rural versus urban mm-hmm. argument. Yeah. Uh, and I think we, we see some of that in Arkansas, maybe not as bad, but that's that's a rural Arkansas issue. It's like we're we're more concerned about the urban areas and the, the larger population areas and their needs and their concerns. Like, well, I get that, and and those are good things to, to address those. But you can't forget about the the majority of the state and, and doing yeah. those. And so it really has been interesting. And and I think a part of that too is you know agriculture. When you talk to farmers, you know most of them aren't aren't very loud they aren't very vocal i mean if, if they're dealing with an issue like i'll deal with it i'll be fine i don't need anybody's help and you know they they don't want to make a big scene they don't want right. to you know have to drive down to little rock or drive to washington dc and, and and they don't want to be whining or complaining and so it's like it, it is what it is and we'll work through it and we'll figure it out while other industries are, are, are sometimes sometimes do a better job of being more vocal about what impact certain things have and so uh, i guess that's really is part of my job is, is trying to help be a voice for, for some of those who are too busy in a lot of cases to, to explain what impacts things have, but also just advocating for them on, on, on how things impact agriculture and what it means for the future. And also, I mean, to be fair in Arkansas, it is a little easier because our, our urban is not as densely populated <laughs> as right. other states. The <laughs> difference between our rural communities and our urban communities population-wise is not as massive as That's other right. parts of the country. That's exactly right. So, so talk a little bit about the Farm Bill and what all goes into that because I think a lot of people think of the Farm Bill, you know, especially I know when I was younger and growing up, you know, the Farm Bill was about – insurance programs for farmers and subsidies for corn growers, you know, or, or subsidies for corn growers to not grow corn and one or two other things. And that was about it. But it is yeah. it is massively more than that now. It is. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, the Farm Bill really is a, a, a substantial piece of legis- legislative action that, that the Congress deals with. And a lot goes into that and a lot that I think people aren't familiar with. You know, I think a lot of people when the current debates is, you know, it's it's kind of turned into a, a nutrition bill as opposed to a mm. farm bill. And yeah. that's because, you know, the, the nutrition programs, the SNAP programs, all of that makes up, you know, about eighty percent or so of the farm bill. And so that's a that's a tremendous piece of that, uh, even outside of production agriculture. But but it also includes, you know, you've got your commodity programs that, that deal with, you know, those subsidies or the, those crop insurance type aspects, the marketing programs and that deals with, you know, trade and you know, market access programs and foreign market development programs and uh, really across a broad range of issues that, that impact agriculture are all really tied into that conservation programs and how much is going to be in the conservation programs and uh, a lot of, it's, it's a pretty significant heavy lift and it takes a long time for for those committees on the federal level, the Senate and the, and the House Ag Committees both, to work through that process of, you know, what does, what does this mean? Is this good for agriculture? And uh, you know, 
this current farm bill aside, you know, a, a, a big piece. Agriculture is supposed to be non-political and non-controversial, really. But at the same time, you have you have regional differences. Southern agriculture production is different from you know Midwestern agriculture production, and and I think that's one of the the big challenges that they face is you know implementing these programs or, or putting programs into legislation. Uh, are we unfairly advantaging certain parts of the country over other parts of the country? And, right. Uh, and that's a that's a challenge of, of trying to be fair across the country for for those congressional members and making sure that the farm bill doesn't again doesn't negatively impact you know someone without even realizing what it would what it would do. And that gets a lot more into the political hierarchies within the federal government and who's got the poll and all that. Right. But it, you know it, it does sound like that you know you mentioned SNAP earlier that while agriculture is supposed to be non-controversial, you have a lot more issues that kind of get crammed into the farm bill that are often sources of, of greater debate than maybe you would want to have when you're dealing with ag. That's right. Yeah, I, I would say that uh, probably most farmers would say, can we talk about agriculture or do y'all want to keep talking about yeah. know, these, these yeah. nutrition programs? If this is the farm bill. Like, we want to talk about these other issues, not that. Let's talk about farms. <laughs> <That's right>. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy right. idea, I know. So let's talk a little bit about conservation efforts because, uh, you know, of course, the headlines a lot of times, and rightfully so a lot of times, come from uh, pollution and runoff and, and some of the problems that, you know, of course, the a lot of people in Arkansas, the, the hog farm near the Buffalo River is, you know, what they think of as, with things like that. And, and that's always something that you have to monitor and is part of what you regulate. But there are a lot of conservation efforts involved. And, and there's a lot of people in the state who seem to want to be involved in, you know, taking care of our, our land and, and everything yeah. that's that's made Arkansas what it is. Um, so I guess just talk about some about some of those programs and and how you might be able to get involved in those, even if you're not a farmer. Yeah. So uh, I, I would say on the conservation side, I, I think we're. We've made a lot of progress over over the last several years, uh, and a lot of that is is attributable to to those farmers. You know, you know, farmers are our first you know conservationists. You know, they're, that's that's their land. They know that they have to produce their livelihood off of that land, so they're they, they don't want to do anything that negatively impacts their land and their ability to to produce agricultural commodities and, and really to take care of their families. And so, I, I feel like the majority of them, and of course, you've always got you know bad actors who who don't think the same way. But the majority of them are, are looking at how do I conserve resources? How do I how do I be a good steward of the land? And that ranges from you know how do conserving water. You know, am, am I running you know for row crop industry? Am, am I am I running my pumps enough? You know. Can, can I reduce the amount of water that I'm using to, you know, alternate wetting and drying techniques that I know that you, you've, you've, you're familiar with oh, in yes. the rice industry? And, <laughs> uh, so you know, always trying to be adaptive and looking for new ways of doing things that conserve those resources. Uh, and at the same time, also has an impact on their, on their bottom line. If, if there's a practice that they can utilize that is less expensive, you know, they're, they're not using as much water or electricity or fuel or whatever that case may be, that, that, reduces their operating costs it helps the environment so they're they're always looking for those those ways of, of, of doing things better but at the same time you know a, a lot of those programs are are dependent on you know the federal government you know those programs that are in the farm bill the, the conservation programs that are there and so uh, we work very closely with uh, with USDA and, and, and NRCS Natural Resource Conservation Service here in Arkansas and Arkansas really uh, has been over the last several years has been the number one recipient of of those conservation dollars, and mm -hmm. so that's a testament to our producers who are actively going out there and saying, "Here's here's what I can do on my farm, and uh, here's how I can make improvements." And USDA 
is looking at that saying we agree we we think you know, we think that's a great use of the, that funding and the, those resources and and we want to help you be able to do those things and I, I think we really really are making a lot of strides you know we, we still have a lot a long way to go and uh, you know there's always improvements to be made but we're we're working very hard on that and uh, you know water 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 is one of those that not just for Arkansas but across the nation really across the globe is, is becoming one of those really controversial issues oh yeah and so if you look at, at East Arkansas and, and you know the, our aquifers are depleting faster than they're they're recharging so how do we how do we transition from from groundwater to surface water? You know, you know, can we do reservoirs? Can we use you know uh, other other activities, alternate wetting and drying, all these things to reduce the amount of water that we're using so that we don't dry up those aquifers? Because ultimately, if that happens, now we're it's not just impacting the agricultural operation. Now we're impacting you know city water. You mm-hmm. know, you know, more of the urban I say urban uh, <laughs> urban yeah. and urban and rural areas, uh, the communities, the cities that are relying on that water to to provide water to families uh, in their homes and so uh, it's something that that we are very mindful of and working very hard to to address that issue and continue to make improvements going forward and uh, it's it's easier sometimes when you're say preserving wetlands in east arkansas it's easier to get people motivated because they know it'll bring the ducks down in the winter and (laughs) a lot of recreational (laughs) um but if you're not in the agriculture industry you know what what can you do to help i mean a program that comes to mind because i was involved in it in its early years uh, that uh, a lot of farmers have teamed with uh, food banks around the the state to collect food after harvests and try to get more fresh fruits and vegetables to uh, people in need because that's something that's hard to get obviously in, in food bank systems i know department of correction does a, a lot of work with that too but you know what kind of things can you do along those lines if you want to you know volunteer to help to help the land and to help, you know, yeah. to, to help the environment, uh, even if you're not dealing with row crops and, and watering practices and things like sure. that. Sure. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, first of all, just, just being aware of the practices that farmers are doing. Uh, I think farmers sometimes get a blank eye of, you know, they're destroying the land, they're creating all these problems. And I think just knowing knowing the farmers, especially if you, you know, live in a you know rural state like Arkansas and just getting to know the farmers and, you know, explain to me what you're doing and, and how you're doing it. And, just having those conversations, getting educated on their practices, and and uh, and how what work that they're doing to be you know good con- conservationists and preserve those resources. But uh, there are, there are several other programs out there. Uh, you know, I think the program you were, you were referring to was the Gwinning Project, yes. and yes. Uh, and you know, working with food banks. I, I think I think in Arkansas again, I think this this points to why we're such a great state. Is everybody's working together. You know, it's it's the food banks, it's the farmers, it's the producers, it's the the conservationists. You know, we're all trying to work together to to improve our state and make it better. Uh, but I, I do think, you know, for people that are wanting to be more involved and more interested is, is just getting to know their farmers uh, that are in their areas. And sometimes I can see how that could be an intimidating task for someone who, who may not know a farmer. Sure. Uh, and so I, I think farmer's markets are, are a great opportunity for that. You know, you know, you go out, you see producers that are bringing in their products and just talking to them and, you know, you know helping, you know, buying products from producers that are taking that approach and, and being, being good stewards and you know being good conservationists and, and supporting them you know by, by buying their products mm-hmm. you know that's you know speaking with dollars is g- can go a really long <laughs> way so yeah <laughs> go to those farmers markets that's they, right. they help that's everyone right. out that's right you you talked a little bit about and look into the future as we get toward the back end of this uh you, you talked about the concerns about water and uh, you know there's a lot of 
studies and experts out there that say within a generation or two, basically water is going to be the new oil. It's going to be this limited commodity that, you know, is going to become scarcer and scarcer unless we make some changes. What what are the the, the specific challenges that you see from the from the farmer viewpoint of what that's going to entail in the coming years and decades? Yeah, I, I think, you know, more specific to, to eastern Arkansas is, is those depleting aquifers. Like we, we've got to We've got to address that, and, and we're working on it. But we've we've got to continue that and speed up our response to that. Uh, you know, if our if our producers who are you know row crop farmers and they're they're putting in wells for irrigation you know, in the south, you know that's kind of our, our crop uh, you know our, our risk management approach is we, we irrigate as opposed to you know practices in other states. Uh, and so if we don't have that water, uh, you know we we may not have a crop. Yeah. And so. These producers, they put down wells and they're, they're you know, irrigating their, their fields and their crops. And so if, it, if they have to drill down 100 foot to hit water, that's, that's a substantial cost. And so the, cost of, the operating costs continue to go up. They've got to find ways to recharge that aquifer. Uh, so instead of, sp- instead of spending money on you know, deeper wells, let's, let's have a recharge area. Let's have a holding facility where we can capture water that's coming in from rain, from other sources. Uh, and, and then use that water, the surface water, to get back onto fields. And so, uh, I do think the aquifer, you know, kind of looking to the future, uh, the you know, the alligator closest to the boat is, is those aquifers, and we've got to make sure that those are recharged and that we don't dry those up. And because they talk about it, at a certain point, you you've kind of you get to a point of no return where you you mm-hmm. depleted them to a point you're never going to get them back. And so that's that's something we have to be very mindful of. You know, looking at the science and making sure that we don't go past that, but making sure that we're doing practices that's allowing those aquifers to recharge faster than what they have been. So outside of uh, smarter water use and, and water conservation, what do you think in, in the coming decade, let's say, uh, you know, put on your, your swami hat and crystal ball, but, you know, what, what do you think the biggest issues are going to be facing agriculture in, in the state? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, certainly water is going to be there. It's a global marketplace now. So, so really anything that affects you know, on the news right now is, you know, China and, you know, the potential for retaliation on tariffs and what impact that that has. Uh, I think those are global issues are always going to, in the future, the global issues are always going to have an impact on agriculture and especially with larger countries like China or or, or others, you know, the, the actions that they make, the decisions that they make will have an impact on uh, our, our industry here in Arkansas, which is sometimes, you know, just really interesting to just step back and think about, you know, the, the global marketplace. And uh, you, you look at, you know, animal disease issues, you know, Arkansas had, had avian influenza just a few years ago, and, and that was what USDA considered the worst animal disease outbreak right. in U.S. history. Yeah. Uh, and that that too has global market implications. You know, there are still countries that say we're we're not going to accept any of your poultry because you had avian influenza three years ago, and so all all of those factors just kind of join together. But uh, you know, the disease aspect, you know, animal disease, plant disease. We Arkansas's got a, a significant pigweed problem that's getting worse every year. Uh, so and what is that for those who yeah. aren't who aren't in ag? <laughs> Talk about pigweed. Yeah. So so pigweed is a controversial topic that we're we're dealing with currently and. And, and finding, you know, it's resistant to certain chemicals, and so there's really no way of killing it. Uh, and so what that pigweed does, it grows really fast. It, it produces a tremendous amount of, of seed that, you know, if, if it continues to grow and produces seed, you've got a, the population of the pigweed continues to, you know, just grow exponentially. Uh, and if it's resistant to certain chemicals, you know, it's, it's a really bad problem really fast. Yeah. And, and in certain row crop areas of the state, 
that those pigweeds will choke out you know that crop you know that soybeans or something else and uh, prevent them from being able to harvest their fields. They can't get tractors in. It gums up the, the machinery and the equipment, and it, they, it costs more to try to harvest the field than what the field's actually worth. And so pigweed is a tr- it's a growing challenge. It's a significant challenge right now. It will be a, a significant challenge, you know, several years into the future. Mm-hmm. So plant disease, you know, uh, animal disease, you know, global marketplace, you know, water, and even beyond that, just to the, the the political regulatory environment too has an impact as well. You know, you look at the farm bill as we've talked about. If you know if it's eighty percent more based off nutrition than agriculture, at, at what point do you, do do people and kind of rural urban argument at the national level start saying, well, we're not really concerned about those agricultural programs anymore? And, and that's something that's of, of concern. And I think that's a long way off. I, I hope that that we never get to that point. But uh, things that we have to be watching for and. and and taking a proactive stance on educating people and like, here's why this is important, and here's why this is important to not just rural Arkansas, Arkansas as a state, but uh, you know other other parts of the country as well. And I think the challenges that we face as a state, looking to you know ten years into the future, are, are challenges that the U.S. is going to have to yeah. have to fight as a whole. So it's uh, and when you talk about global trade too, it it not only the issue of you know whether or not countries accept products from other countries, but that ability, just like with humans, to to spread those diseases more easily that's throughout exactly right. throughout the world. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. We have uh, invasive pests and species that are that are in the U.S. now that you know 50 years ago they weren't here. And I said, well, how did they get here? Because somebody brought them here, yeah. <laughs> and that might have been through through trade. You know, maybe that was through you know fruit or or other vegetables that was coming into the country, and 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 unbeknownst to them at the time, that helped. And introduce an invasive species into our country that now we're having to, to fight. So it, it has a lot of uh, has a lot of implications across the board. And, and you know, and, and you look at the global aspects, not just not just the U.S. Like what happens if other countries have invasive species? And that that yeah. impacts their ability to produce and and what they produce. And so uh, I think we'll, we will see some some shifting of what countries produce and how much they produce of certain things. But uh, that again points to. I think the longevity of Arkansas agriculture is we, we have such a diverse industry that if something happens in one industry, usually the other industries are, are doing good and adapting and doing, doing uh, overcoming challenges. So I, I think to the future, Arkansas is positioned very well to be successful uh, long into the future in our, our industry. And it sounds like, uh, obviously, you're not an elected official, but if you had a, a political slogan, it would be, make the farm bill the farm bill again. <laughs> that's right. That's, <laughs> that's right. That's one of your goals. Right. Make oh. the farm bill the farm bill, eat rice, wear cotton. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, of course, all those other slogans. <laughs> so, okay, and speaking of plugging things, uh, as, as we're at the end here, uh, if people want more information on the Department of Agriculture in the state or f- on farm programs or conservation programs, what's the easiest way for them to, to find those? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we try to be very transparent and very open uh, at the Arkansas Agriculture Department, so www.agriculture.arkansas.gov. Pretty pretty easy to remember and easy to find. And you know, if, if we don't have those resources available on our website, we we would certainly appreciate phone calls and help help to point people to the right direction on things that they're looking for. All right, and of course, you can always use your local library to learn plenty about agriculture in all the industries of, right. of Arkansas. Well, thanks for being here, Wes. This yes, was, uh, yes, very educational and even a little fun, maybe. <laughs> this has been Primary Sources. You can check it out and many other podcasts uh, from the Central Arkansas Library System at cals.org. And we will be back with more interesting people in Central Arkansas telling you great stories of uh, the history and of the state and the now of the state. And uh, until then, have yourself a great day. 
You've been listening to Primary Sources, a production of the Central Arkansas Library System. For more information, please visit cals.org and butlercenter.org. Join us next time to hear more from people making a difference in Little Rock and Arkansas. Thank you.